Midnight Gathering. How we doing? Doing good? All right, all right. Well, hey, uh, welcome back. We're glad to have you guys here. We are in our second week of the God Is series, and I hope that uh, you were able to check out last week, either on Spotify or online, because uh, every week of this series is kind of kind of build on itself. And so I wanted to start tonight, we're just gonna, we're gonna get on the diving board and we're gonna jump right into the deep end. I got a question for you. I wanna get our hearts and our minds moving. And here, here's the question. Have you, <coughs> excuse me, have you ever thought about what is the most important thing about you? Have you ever stopped to think, what's the most important thing about me? Is it my knowledge? Is it my family? Is it my job? Is it my fashion? I don't know. Like, what, what is the most important thing about, is it your vibe that you carry? I don't like, what is it? But I think most of us, we probably don't think about that very often. We probably could, if we really sat with it and talked, like, we could probably figure some things out. But what is the most important thing about you? Well, there is an author theologian that had an interesting take on that very question. He said this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Let me read that one more time. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So is this true? If so, why is it true? Here, here, because I would agree, I 100% agree with this. That the most singular important thing about who you are is what you believe about God. And here's why. Because what you believe about God is what you will build your entire life on, both in this life and in the next. It is the singular most important thing about you. It's what you think when you think about God. Because here's the deal, if we think about God wrongly, it will impact negatively and destructively every area of our lives, both now and into eternity. But if we think of God rightly, it will impact positively every area of our lives from now and into eternity. You see, it's the difference between building a house of cards on the beach that will fall over at even a breeze of a storm or building your house on a cement foundation with steel beams that it doesn't matter what storm comes, your house is not shaken. And what we believe about God depends on which house you are building. And one of those houses of cards that we tend to believe a lot, or most uh, popular beliefs, is that, that God only loves us when we're good and when we behave well. That is a very popular narrative that we grow up with. And it's not for bad reason, because we, we live in a world, even today as adults, in a performance-based approval world. That everything that you get is earned, right? Like we, we, we learned this early growing up in school when you get stickers, right, from your teacher. Like you did good, here's a sticker, right? If you were bad, a mark on the chalkboard or smart board, whatever you guys use, 
right? Like that we, it starts early. Parents do this to get control of their house. Coaches do this, right? I remember when I was in high school and we played football, if you had a good play, you'd get a, a sticker for your helmet. And if you didn't, you'd go run laps, right? Performance-based approval. It's the world that we live in. At your work, performance-based approval. If you do well, you'll get the raise or you'll get the promotion or whatever. You'll get a corner office, you know, right? Like if you do well. But if you don't do well, you won't get the raise and you won't get the promotion and pretty soon you'll be looking for a new job. And so performance-based approval is something that we come to naturally. But here's the danger, is that performance-based mentality bleeds into our faith, that we have to perform for God to open up the faucet of love in your direction. And that could not be any farther from the truth. But we come across it honestly. And if I'm honest with myself, I kind of like the idea of earning God's approval. And I think we're probably in the same boat here because it actually feeds our desire to be in control. Right, if, if I can behave well enough to get God to love me and approve of me, then I'm actually in control of God. And in doing so, what I do is I take him off of the throne and I put myself secretly on the throne. And so this performance-based approval mentality is not just not true, it is sneaky idol worship of self. That I can do it, I can get God's approval. And this was my story growing up because when I was a kid, I was really good at following rules. I was really good and I got a lot of affirmation from the adults in my life. But what happens when all of a sudden you realize you can't do perfection? Then all of a sudden your house of cards comes crashing down. And so God's word paints a very different picture of God's love, it is not something we earn, it is not something we perform for, because the reality is, is God knew we would misbehave, and God knows we can't control our circumstances or even suppress our sin nature. He has loved us and welcomed us into his kingdom on no merit of our own, but on the merit of Jesus Christ alone. So knowing who God is, is the most important thing about you. Because it will set you on a trajectory one way or the other, both in this life and for eternity, right? You're building a foundation, you're just, you're building your life, right? You're just starting out building your life and you gotta figure out what is the foundation you're going to build on. Some idea of who God is or what God's word says God is. And so that's why we're doing this series. Because you guys are in that season of life where it's foundational. Big, you're making big decisions, making big moves, asking for big prayers, right? And so we, we need to know who is God. And so tonight we're gonna talk about the fact that God is love. Now I wanna make it, before we jump in, into 1 John chapter four, I wanna make it some important distinctions, okay? Because this, this word love is a powder keg. Right, it, it is, it, I mean, we, we could go around this room right now and you could jot down what do you think love is? How do you define love? And we would come up with probably 100 different answers because our world is forever trying to change what is love, right? 
So just in general, so let's just define some terms. Love from the world's perspective is this, a feeling, desire, or an affection for something or someone. That's the general idea of love, right? That there is a desire or a feeling or an affection for something or someone, right? Because we can say, I love pizza and I love my mom. Not equal. Well, for some of you, there is some good pizza out there. Right, but like, it's not the same thing. We take this word love and we equate, we equate it with different things. I, I love pizza, I love my mom, I love going to the mountains, I love going to the beach, I love a good nap, right? And so the, the, the definition that the world deals with is really a desire. I desire pizza, I desire to go to the mountains, I desire a nap. But love for mom is on a totally different level, right? And so we need to distinguish the difference between worldly love and how the world talks about love and how God's word and God talks about love. Because God's love is a holy love. You're gonna hear me say that a lot tonight, that God's holy love, and I'm gonna say that over and over for one reason only, God's love is both holy and wholly different than humanity's love. And guys, let's be honest, this is a hard concept for us. This whole concept tonight is gonna be hard because we do not know on a face-to-face relationship basis this kind of love. We don't know it because we are broken and fallen, living in a fallen and broken world. And so we have to extend our faith in God's word tonight. All right, in the New Testament, the word love that is most used is this word agape. If you grew up in church, maybe you heard this term. It's the Greek word for love that we see over and over and over. In the passage I'm gonna read tonight, every time you see love, it is this word agape. An agape love is unmerited, gracious, and constantly seeking the benefit of the one it loves. All right? In the Old Testament, it wasn't written in Greek, it was written in Hebrew. And the, the Hebrew word that is used over and over for this same idea is the word hesed. And it means it describes the sense of love and loyalty that inspires merciful, loving kindness and compassionate behavior toward another person. All right, so whether it's agape or hesed love, it is something that is toward someone else for their good, full of loving kindness and mercy and compassion and grace. There's a really, really, really smart dude named Dallas Willard. He said this, it cannot be said too often that agape love is not desire and it is not delight. Desire and feelings aim at self-satisfaction Desire and feelings aim at self-satisfaction, not at what is best. That, of course, is the nature of love. It seeks what is best. And so God's holy love, I took these two definitions, said and agape, and kind of pushed them together. Here's our definition for God's holy love tonight. A constant, merciful, and unmerited choice to do what is best and beneficial toward the one who is beloved. That is the kind of love that we see talked about in God's word. It is not a fleeting feeling. It is not a desire. It is a choice. 
that is made. And we say holy again because it is different than the world talks. And so let's look at 1 John 4 through 7. I'm gonna give you one point that kind of is gonna be our umbrella for the whole night. And then I'm gonna give you a couple others underneath that. So let's read in, in, in 1 John 4, uh, 7 through 8. This is John who wrote the gospel of John. All right, he, he was the one that claimed, I am the, the disciple that Jesus loved. And if you wanna know more about how my, my view of that idea has totally changed in the last month, please find me afterwards. Why would he say the disciple who Jesus loved? I don't think it's a, it's a troll on the other disciples. I think he hung out with Jesus. And Jesus loved perfectly. And so the way that he identified with Jesus was I know I am loved. Dear friends, verse seven, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. So you have it right there. John, who spent years and years with Jesus, says God is love and, and love comes from God. God is the creator and the originator of love. He's the one that came up with the idea. There is no song that is, that, that is that's what love is. There is no movie that describes it because God is love. And love comes from God. It's who he is. And here's the crazy thing about this whole series. We're gonna talk about different attributes of God throughout the whole thing. Is just because God is love, that does not diminish his goodness. And just because God is love and, love and, and good doesn't mean that it takes away from his holiness. And just because he is all and totally in nature holy, it doesn't take away from his justice. He is all those things. You see, we over-personify God. Because I think I can maybe be one thing. Definitely can't be two or three. God can, and he is. He is wholly good, and he is the originator and the creator of love. He does not simply act in a loving way, which he most definitely does. He is love. He is agape. He is hesed. It is his nature to seek what is best for you. His, his, his posture towards you is love. This, this is still something I work on in my life because I was so ingrained as a young child of performance-based approval and love. I still fight it to this day that God's posture towards you and towards me is love. It is goodwill, it is loving kindness, it is mercy. You see, but the danger here, living in the culture in which we live, in the time in which we live, is our culture flips that. Instead of God is love, what our culture says is love is God. Think about it, the world we live in, if there's any disagreement, you hate me. You don't love me because love is God to our, our culture. And of course our enemy would do that, right? Flip the word of God on its head. Instead of God is love, we make love our God. And so in 1 John 4, 7 and 8, we learn that God is the originator and the creator of love. It comes from him. 
It is who he is. And again, like I said, this is a hard concept for us. But that's what God's word says. So let's look at verse nine. John continues, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So what I wanna do for the rest of this evening is look because this is a hard concept to grasp. Like we could just say, hey, God is love, we're dismissed, let's go. But I wanna look deeper, what is God's love like? So that we can help get some depth and some breadth to this idea that God is love. And so verse nine, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. So my first point tonight is that God's holy love is visible. God's holy love is visible. God showed his love among us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Colossians says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. If you wanna know what God looks like, look at Jesus. He's the perfect representation of God. And so if we wanna know what love is, look at Jesus. Because it is visible to us. God showed us. Romans 5.8, Paul says almost the exact same thing. He says, but God demonstrates his love for us. In this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God is love and his love is visible. I know most of you in this room are not married, but someday, I'm guessing most of you, many of you will be married. And we're gonna have a big problem in our marriages if you get 15, 20 years down the road and you've never displayed your love for your spouse beyond the ceremony, right? And the ceremony you might say, hey, till death do us part. We're gonna get dressed up, there's gonna be flowers, there's gonna be a party afterwards. All of this is to declare my love for you. And then from that day forward, there is no action and there is no spoken word of love. I don't think it would take very long for us to start questioning, do they love me? They don't show me, and they don't tell me. And that's the problem with human love, is we get into ruts of mundaneness. But God's love is visible. He tells us, just look at the cross of Christ. That is how much I love you. So every time we look at the cross, whether it's on a necklace, or on the side walls right here in this very room. Let it be a reminder of God's holy love, not just for humanity, but for you. It's undeserved love. It's merciful, full of loving kindness. You see, God has sought our best, agape love. And his best, our best, your best is to be with him. And so he made a way for you and I to be with him. It is through Jesus Christ. Continuing on in verse 10, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. You see, God's holy love, this is my second point. God's holy love is unconditional. There is no conditions to it, right? The false narrative is that God will love us only if we are good and well-behaved. But, but John says, this is love. Not that we loved God, 
but that he loved us. Right? John 3.16 tells us that God loves the misbehaving. God loves sinners. For God so loved agape that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God loves sinners. He knew we would misbehave. And so he said, oh, I, I, I know the solution to that problem. I will send my son. Just a little bit later in this chapter, 1 John 4, 19, it says, we love because he first loved us. There's no condition to his love. We did nothing. He did it first. He made the first step. And boy, was it a big step. We love in response to his love. We are not the creator of love. You see, our, we, we just respond to the originator of love. God's love is unconditional. It is gracious. It's unmerited. It's undeserving. No conditions attached. And this is so different. Like, there's so much hope right here. This is so different than our human way of loving, right? Because the human way of loving is, I will love you until there is an end to human love. There is. Some of you have seen that in friendships, that there's an end to friendship. That if you do this enough, or if you don't stop doing this, our friendship is over. We see marriages all the time. The one relationship that is supposed to be till death do us part. I will love you until this, or this, or this. God's love doesn't work that way. We live in cancel culture where if you screw up one time, and if it's the right screw up, or I should say the wrong screw up, you're done. You are dead to me. You are dead to the world. Good luck with your job, good luck with your family, good luck with having friends, you're done. That's the world's way. It is absolutely conditional. That's why people in this generation are afraid to speak. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're afraid to open your mouth and give an opinion because you don't want to be canceled in some way, shape, or form. Because we know that human love is absolutely conditional. Fear reigns when our culture gets to define love. When our world is the one telling you this is what love is, well, guess what? It's a moving target to whatever the world wants it to be. God says, no, 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 my love is unconditional. This is love, not that we love, but God loved us. And he is immovable. My friend and pastor here at Crossings, his, his name is Cliff Sanders, he says it this way, and I love this. God, God's love won't give up on you because it's unconditional. It won't give out on you because it's inexhaustible, and it won't give in to you because it's unchanging. Oh, yeah, I love that. God's love won't give up on you, it won't give out on you, and it will not give in to you because God's love cannot be manipulated. It is what it is because God is love. We can manipulate love between humans, but God's love cannot be redefined. The truth is that he loved us first that is because he knew we would misbehave. Isn't that good news? Like, our, your misbehaving is not a surprise to him. He knew. He knew who we would be. But he acted in love towards us because God loves sinners. 
for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And our position then is to respond to the love that has been given to us unconditionally. And unfortunately, there are way more people that respond with rebellion than worship. We trust our own desires and delights. And instead of responding with humility and gratitude, we respond with pride and manipulation, thinking we can manipulate God's love to do what we want him to do. So God's holy love is always visible on the cross of Christ. And it's unconditional because we come to the cross with no merit of our own. He acted first. We simply respond to his love, either accepting or rejecting it. Continuing on in verse 10, I'm gonna read it again. This is love. Not that we loved God, but he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So my third point is that God's holy love is sacrificial. It is visible, it is unconditional, and it is sacrificial, right? This is love. He loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. And that word atoning just simply means to make amends. Something is wrong and something needs to be fixed. And Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sin. You see, both God the Father and Jesus the Son sacrificially loved you and loved me and loved the world. God gave up his one and only Son and Jesus gave up his power and his position and his life that we might come back to be with the Lord. The best example I can think of this sacrificial love short of heaven is I I, I came across this about 20 years ago. And there's this father-son duo. Um, It's Team Hoyt, H-O-Y-T. And the dad's name is Dick and the son's name is Rick. And Rick was born with cerebral palsy. And when he was born, the doctor said, hey, it's hopeless. He's going to live, but put him in a home. He's gonna be a vegetable the rest of his life. And his mom and dad said, you know what? I'm not, that, I'm not, we're not gonna do that. We're gonna raise him as difficult as, we're gonna raise him as a normal boy. But he was confined to his wheelchair his entire life. But when he was young, like he was a, Rick's mind was, was, was sharp. He could communicate through a computer. And he told his parents, hey, there, there's this fundraiser that I've heard about, you know, for, and, and I would like to be in the 5K run to help raise money. Dad, would you, would you push me? He was like, okay, let's go. And so Dick and Rick ran their first race and they came in second to last because dad pushed his son in his wheelchair. And and at the end of the race, Rick tells his dad, dad, when I run, I don't feel like I'm handicapped anymore. And so dad, as only a dad can do, said, game on. And from that day forward, they started running and running and running. I think we've got a picture of them. You can see, like, they, like, they, they started just entering every race they could join. Here's their stats. They ran 162 5Ks, 219 10Ks, 
97 half marathons, 72 marathons, 257 triathlons. Dad would pull him in the water in a boat, push him on the run, and sit him on his bike when they rode. They finished six Ironmans. We love stories of agape love where someone sacrifices for the benefit of someone else. We love stories like this. Go on YouTube tonight, look it up, watch the videos. You'll be in tears. I was this morning in my office. And I know the story. Because sacrificial love gets us. Because we know, deep down, we need a father to push our handicappedness through life. Continuing on, he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. He loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. When there is a sacrificial love, there's also a beneficial love. So that's the next point is that God's holy love is beneficial. But who is it beneficial for? Us. You see, his visible sign of his love, his unconditional love, and his sacrificial love is actually beneficial for us. Agape love. It is a love that makes a choice to do what's necessary for the benefit of the beloved. God so loved the world is the beneficiary of God's love. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus went to the cross so that his perfection, his righteousness might be deposited into your account. You see, for the Christian, those who have given their lives to Jesus, those who have submitted their life to Christ and said, I will follow you, when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. For those outside of Christ who say, I'm not going to follow Jesus, I'm gonna follow myself, when God sees them, he sees all of the sin. For the Christian, the blood of Christ covers us. And we are the righteousness of Christ. You see, we're the beneficiary of God's love, of his agape love. And then he finishes with this, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And so my last point is that God's holy love is instructional. God's holy love is instructional. Right, making the constant choice to do what is best and beneficial toward one another. This is the echo of John chapter 13 when Jesus is talking with his disciples the night before he was crucified. He says, I give you this command, love one another as I have loved you. And by loving one another, everyone will know that you're my disciples. You see, God knew that if we love the way God loves, that you would stick out. 
Because God loves not for his own good, but for the benefit of others. And that is the kind of love that will blow this culture's mind. It does not make sense. One of the most famous wedding verses ever, right, is 1 Corinthians, or is 2 Corinthians 13? Love is patient, love is kind, love is not self-seeking, love is not easily angered, love protects. Like, like, the world's love is the exact opposite of that. The world's love is impatient, and it is easily angered, and it does keep a record of every wrong. And it is not protective, it is absolutely self-seeking. But God offers a better love. It is not patient, it is patient, it is kind, it is not self-seeking, it does not keep a record of wrongs, it always protects and it always loves. Love never fails, agape, because God never fails. That's why when you get married, build it on God, not on your willingness to love. He gives us that declaration, a design and a distinction in John 13. Jesus, is, Jesus loves, it's an instructive love. And this is where, this is where we, we, we might uh, offend some people, okay? So just bear with me. The culture's idea of love is completely accepting and completely affirming of every decision that we make. That is how our culture, if you love me, you will approve of me, you will accept me, and you will affirm me everything that I do and everything that I think. But God's love is instructional, right? We are to love as Christ loved. In Mark chapter 10, verse 21, the rich young ruler, which we've talked about multiple times, it says this, the, the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, how do I get eternal life? And Jesus opens up the Old Testament, is like, hey, do these things. He's like, he goes, I've done all of those since I was young. And then it says this. Jesus looked at him, Jesus loved him, and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. You see, Jesus loves you and I enough to correct us, to convict us, and move us. Our world would say, don't you dare. You tell me I'm wrong, you hate me. If you wanna love me, just approve of all that I am ever, all the time. Let me throw this at you. It is, in, it is an immature and naive view of love, to think that love means to sit back and tolerate what will destroy the one whom you love. It is immature and a naive view of love to think that love means to sit back and tolerate what will destroy the one whom you love. This idea is not that foreign to us. We would never tell a parent to parent that way. Just let your kids do whatever they want, never correct them. It is their correction that is coming from a place of love. Coaches, we would never say, hey, coaches, don't coach. Don't do it. Don't tell them their form's bad. 
Don't tell them they're not working hard enough. We would never do that. Coach is coach. Savior's safe. And if Jesus sees, hey, you are doing something in your life that is not good for you, that is going to destroy you, he is going to convict you. He's going to instruct you. He says, come follow me. Don't follow your desires. Don't follow your delights. Follow Jesus. I heard one pastor say that if, if the Bible uh, and the words of Jesus never disagree with you, you have created your own version of Jesus and you worship a false God. We can expect God because he is for our best to correct and convict us when we are making choices that are outside of his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And maybe that's when you read God's word, you might get convicted. Maybe it's a loving friend that says, hey, I love you enough to tell you this. Because you know what's unloving? Is to care more about what they think of you and say nothing. That's unloving. And so this agape love is for our best. And so in review, we've learned tonight from 1 John chapter four that God is love. He's the creator and originator of love and that God's holy love is visible, unconditional, sacrificial, beneficial, and instructional. So what do we do with this? I'm gonna challenge you to love, first and foremost, love one another the way God loves you. Start trying to love people with their best interests in mind, not yours because that is the way Christ has loved you. So we start loving with agape love. Secondly, I have to ask this question, how do you respond to God's instructional love? When there's a conviction, when someone approaches you who loves you and cares for you and says, hey, I see this, how do we respond to that? With humility, with pride, with fighting words. Thirdly, if you're not a Christian tonight, if you're not submitted to Christ, would you be willing to follow this God who is love, who has your best at heart, who knows you and loves you and cares for you and invites you and says, hey, come follow me, and you will find a rest for your soul, both today and for eternity. It's a lot easier to follow God when we know that he is love and that he is good. And so what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So if this is true, if what we think about God really is most important thing about us, the one factor upon which hinges the quality of our lives now and into eternity, and what we think about God is that God is love, then what does that really mean? It means if we get this wrong, we cannot accept that God is love and that his love for us is without condition or end, then we will assume that being accepted and loved by God is contingent on our behavior. We'll think we need to earn it. Or even worse, we'll think we can earn it. We will either become enslaved to performance or buried by shame 
forever being stuck on a hamster wheel of trying to be good enough or helpful enough or attractive enough or smart enough. Every difficulty you encounter will be seen as God's mad at you and that he's punishing you if we don't get and believe that God is love. You'll try to pretend or perform yourself into unconditional acceptance, but it will never be enough. If you do not know that God is love, you will not let yourself be loved by him. You will miss the life he is offering you both now and into eternity. But if we get this right, if we get this right, if we trust that God is, that God who created us is love, it will change everything. When you know that God's favor and love for you cannot be gained and it cannot be lost, you will be free from religious performance. Your relationships will no longer be mirrors or measures of your worthiness. You'll be able to submit to God without fear, even in suffering, because you can trust that he is for you. You can expose your weakness. You can expose your failures or your faults because your, your belovedness was settled on the cross. And your life and future will be secure in the hands of love because God is love. So you see, what you think about when you think about God is absolutely the most important thing about you because from it, everything else comes. So we have to nail this down. God is love. It's visible, it's tangible, it's unconditional. It's all the things that human love cannot be. Let's pray. Lord, I wanna thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you rewrite definitions for us. You write, rewrite narratives that we believe. God, I know there are people in this room that, are, that grew up like similar to me that, that, that didn't believe you were good, that didn't believe that you were loving. So God, I, I know that is, a, that is a long road. I don't expect it all just to come crashing down tonight, but Lord, I pray that for those in this room and those who are watching, God, that we would begin to grasp how high and how wide and how deep your love is for us and that you are for us, you are not against us. God, that our lives will be built on a foundation that you are loving and that you are good and that we can live in that freedom. So Lord, as we go into a moment to reflect, I pray, God, that you would do work in us that if we don't believe you're good, you would ex expose that, why we don't believe you're good. And you'd start to do work to change our hearts and our minds to know who you are. In your son's name, amen.